Hello, and welcome back to the Self Healer Soundboard. This episode topic is one we could likely stretch into multiple episodes and may continue on in some way that we wanted to at least begin a conversation today around anger, something that we all experience as humans and something largely that we have learned to shun or shove away or ignore. I think one of the biggest reasons why it's quite a universal experience, whether or not we're allowing it into our experience or whether or not we're suppressing it, shoving it away, as you just said, um, is because anger results when we are violated, when our physical or emotional boundaries are violated, or when our needs are going unmet. It's that physiological indicator, as we often describe emotions to be, that either of those scenarios are either happening or we're perceiving them to happen. So saying that to say, I mean, I think quite universally, we've all had those moments where we felt threatened or violated within our space or our thoughts or our emotions, or, and I can just speak from my own personal journey, I know for me personally, I've gone for quite so many decades um, with particular unmet needs. So whether we're aware of it or not, anger for a lot of us is happening within our bodies. And while it's happening within our bodies, we are largely unaware of it, which is why we get to a place later in life. I mean, I'm saying later in life as a 36-year-old, though I hope that this is still very early in my life. And even at 36, I know that the anger that's within me and even new anger that has been surfacing recently in the last few years is anger that has been there and been suppressed, been shoved down for years, really decades now that hasn't dissipated or disappeared because I shunned it and suppressed it so well. It's still there just in a lot of depths and dark corners. And the more healing I do, the more conscious and aware I become and allow myself to accept that anger and keep myself in a safe space, which comes with consistent practice, practicing conscious awareness, practicing nervous system resilience so that my body can actually physiologically allow that anger. Over time, when you do practice intentionally healing and becoming aware, you may notice this new, seemingly new anger begin to surface that has really been locked away or tucked away for so many years when you were not at a state before to allow it or to experience it. I think that really beautifully Jenna describes what the large portion of, you know, upwards of third, three decades of my life into my thirties really, you know, embodied was that deep, deep suppression of anger. Cause I never would have described myself as an angry person yet in my daily habits um, of disconnection of moments of irritability where I did scream and yell at whoever was around me or just generally a detachment. And it wasn't that I wasn't experiencing anger actually for me, anger was at my core. And when I look back at anger in my childhood, the two models that I had for anger were exactly that explosion from my dad, a general sense of irritability where in moments he would scream and yell if, you know, things were out of place in the pantry where he put them seemingly inconsequential moments resulting in eruption, which for me, I remember being really, really scared when there was yelling in the home. And on the other seemingly other side of the spectrum, my mom, when she was angry, would get really quiet, would go silent, would give me the silent treatment, would ice me. So with those two models, I was never really taught a healthy, adaptive way to identify my anger, to speak about my anger, 
and to release my anger. So for a very long time, I did the same thing. I kept it so far down, erupting out when I could no longer take it. Yet all the while, I would have described myself as I'm not angry. And probably those around me would have similarly. I've heard things like, oh, well, nothing bothers Nicole. And I think all of this, again, really represents not that I wasn't angry. Actually, I was a ball of anger, but that my anger was so far beneath the surface because I didn't have that safe outlet for expressing it. I have a very parallel experience with my mother and father expressing their anger in those same ways. My dad was very explosive, very rageful, would you know shatter glass, scream things. I can picture him holding my mom up by the collar of her shirt. And it was a very a violent nature, as if I was watching a violent film. My mother, on the other hand, is quite like I imagine your mother was. She'd get very quiet, very what I would call almost vindictive and <laughs> sort of this manipulative nature. And she would just go within. I've even to this day can't recall my mom yelling or my mom screaming. It was in opposite. And I can see that even within myself now. I will retaliate in anger sometimes in a way, I think on a recent episode I was describing, I'll make up my mind to pack my bags and go move away to an island. And my form of anger is being taken out in a sheer disconnection of maybe I can upset or hurt or anger them enough by removing myself so that they'll lightly feel the impact of how much they've hurt me or angered me. Very similarly, um, I see in myself, you know, without the ability to acknowledge when I'm having moments of anger and to speak that anger directly and assertively in the world. Um, I think in that same episode, I shared that I similarly, you know, kind of um, imagine the moments where when I'm angry, of course, my mind goes to imagining all the ways that I will hurt someone by not being present, by leaving the relationship, by leaving the home. I think it was I was going away for several days mm -hmm. at the point you're referencing because I was feeling angry in that moment. I did not know how to communicate it. And I think on a similar track, um, passive aggressive styles of communication are some of the ways that we leak out our anger when we're saying things with a bite or indirectly, or one of the favorites I like to use is when I wish aloud that certain things would happen in my environment instead of just directly asking for those things to happen um, from whoever it is around me or whatever it is that is occurring or not occurring. So all of these moments just describing all of the ways that we're unconscious to the anger that's driving these reactions, whether or not we're attuned to the fact that we're having the emotion in our body, it's leaking out in these yelling explosive moments, in these moments of detachment for me and for many of us in these moments of passive aggressive communication. And all of that really just illustrates how we don't have that tools in our mind and in our body to identify in real time what's happening, to speak aloud um, to someone else what is happening in our bodies and to give ourselves then the space to make a different choice. Anger is there and it's going to pile up and it's going to leak out if we're not conscious in all of these different ways, which of course can not only harm ourselves, can harm our relationships. And how could we possibly be conscious or aware of anger in all of these ways if we weren't modeled that? Most of you are here listening to this, watching this in the conversation with us as we also explore this, as we also on a daily basis continue to witness and become more aware of our own emotions of anger, even within ourselves. And yesterday we were talking about um, this podcast, actually, you know, what we should chat about. Anger came up and I 
started giggling and I wanted to pitch to Nicole a conversation that we had had a couple of days ago. I we can call it a conversation and that's what it's turned into. But in the beginning, I don't even remember what it was about. We were really angry with each other. Like that point of anger where I could feel myself going back to this little kid inside of me where I knew I was so annoyed at whatever the situation was with Nicole. I was so frustrated. I felt so hurt. I felt so invalidated. I wanted nothing to do with it or nothing to do with Nicole. She was also feeling similarly. And Nicole and I are very, we can be very forward, very stubborn people. So you put two of us together and it can create magic and it can also combust. And the beautiful thing about this and what I cherish so much in our relationship is that we are both here doing the work every day, individually, but also with each other. And as I was saying before, you know, anger that can come up newly likely has been buried from the past. So as variables and experiences and situations and relationships in our lives shift and change, what we have access to of the past also shifts and change changes. And I've gotten into a space of safety and security really in what has kind of been the newness of our relationship. And for those of you who don't know, Nicole and I are business and life partners with our other partner, Lolly. There's three of us. And it's been a couple of years now to actually, you know, kind of simmer into it. And that has allowed a new space of security where my tolerance for maybe trauma or pain, things that have been blocked from the past have been allowed to surface. And I've noticed this in new anger and new fear in a lot of new ways in my relationship. And for a while in the beginning, it would come out in a volatile way. We would fight, we would be angry, we would yell like any human does. And we do have a commitment to continue growing, to continue coming back to love. And this argument or this possible argument the other day that Nicole and I were in was such a beautiful moment of seeing actual growth because while I noticed that I was so upset and I noticed that Nicole had been pushed so far to an edge of her upset where you could see, you know, when you fight with another person and they just shut down and walk away and this fear of like abandonment just completely came over my body and I realized we are both completely just icing each other. I know that we love each other. And we're both choosing to walk away and shut down from each other. And in that moment, I'm like, wait, we, I want love. I actually don't want to push Nicole away. And my heart was racing a million miles an hour. My palms were sweating. Nicole was walking off in her own physical reaction. And I walked back up to her and I kind of grabbed her and I looked at her and said, you know, hey, like, hey, come here. I love you. Let's come back here. We don't we don't want to do this. We just want love. We want to be connected to each other. And it took a few seconds of like pushback and, you know, us not really wanting to give in to the other. But when that did happen, it's the first time ever in my life I've experienced really wanting to like completely leave someone. And then in the same moment, turning back to, oh, I'm actually a space of love. I'm feeling a lot of anger. I'm feeling really wounded. I understand that this isn't all this person. I really want to connect to this person now. And I was able to articulate that to you, express that to you. And you were meeting me there in that very same spot. And together, we quite literally were able to attune our hearts back together. And it was like 
waving an actual magic wand. So it does sound like magic. It really is possible in relationship when you do show up consistently to yourself and to the relationships around you. I'm really happy you, um, we had this moment, of course, to celebrate our own growth. And um, this podcast conversation came at this time where we can share this moment because there's so much that I think this exchange is illustrating. And one of the things is even how you're acknowledging the duality, the fact that in that same moment, there were two different feelings, the desire to disconnect out of anger, out of hurt, out of other feelings beneath it. And at the same time, the desire to remain heart-centered or connected and even your language, a part of me, right? I There's something happening that's causing this anger, though it's not my whole experience. And I think that's such an incredibly important teaching to embody in these moments for all of you listening, which is to actually create that space within yourself, to be able to identify, and it's not going to happen immediately overnight, especially if you're used to not being witness to your emotions. Though the reality of it is the more you practice, the more you'll see how complicated our emotional moments are. We don't typically just feel one certain way. There's parts of us that are feeling different ways. And I think another thing that this example really illustrates is how oftentimes what we are reacting from the part of us that is angry, that's been violated or that feels they're being violated in that moment, whose needs are not being met. There's anger there, yet beneath the surface, I mean, I even heard you use language like, I'm hurt. I'm fearful I'm going to be abandoned. And I think that really does illustrate how for a lot of us, anger, going back to the iceberg analogy of a couple episodes ago, anger is the tip of the iceberg. Anger is that point of reactivity, though beneath that tip of the iceberg are oftentimes deeper feelings that we similarly don't have the tools to cope with. So anger for a lot of us, and this could even, I mean, both of you and I are describing an example of being really disconnected from our anger, except in those explosive moments where we could not control ourselves. Otherwise, though, I imagine there's probably a whole group of you listening who have become the embodiment of anger, who are living from that point of angry reactivity moment by moment, though, again, not acknowledging that not only is that only part of your experience, chances are beneath the surface are deeper feelings that that anger has become that distance from. I see it in my mind that much like how we talked about our inner critic, and for if you haven't heard that episode yet, it's a few episodes back from this one. I think it's called, Does Your Inner Critic Take You on a Shame Cycle? And the piece of that that I'm referencing here is looking at our inner critic as it's a voice within our minds. It's very much a part of ourselves. It is not us, just like we are not our anger. While many of us might think that we become our anger because we allow it to take us over, our inner critic is also not all of us. It doesn't take us over as much as sometimes it occurs that way. It is a voice that lives within our mind, and it is born from something. It is the critical voice that comes from our childhood, that comes from those traumatic experiences, that comes from that past. And I see anger very much the same way, where in those moments that you know, if I'm feeling hurt or I'm feeling wounded, it doesn't, this doesn't just give a free pass to anyone that's ever done something or I've been in an experience where someone has made me angry, where I'm just saying, you know, oh, it's my own wounding. You know, there's no responsibility over there. That's not what I'm saying, just for clarity here. Though, when I am experiencing anger for myself, like in this argument or tiff, whatever we want to call this moment the other day with Nicole, 
that anger and that fear, because at the root of my anger was a deep fear, and I could see that. It was that fear of being abandoned, fear of being alone, fear of this person not understanding me, of them not having my best interest in mind, a fear that I couldn't trust them, that they didn't really care about my well-being. All of that anger, all of that fear that was all born from the past. That is much like the inner critic that lives in my mind or my conditioned mind, which I've described as a mind within our mind. All of my anger is a filter that is unique to me that is born from my past experiences. And the more that I can create a space of safety, which might physically look like nervous system safety, actually treating my body well, getting sunlight, being in nature, putting my hand on my heart, taking deep breaths, getting sleep. Those may seem like such simple, mundane things, though those are the first immediate things that give me access to having or beginning to create somewhat of a balance in my nervous system so that I can allow the anger that has been there for so long and start to see the message that it's telling me. It was born from something. The anger is like a filter of sunglasses that I put on and I'm seeing the world through. In that moment with Nicole, I was seeing the world through a lot of anger that came from a very real and valid place from the past that in that moment sent my body right back to the past saying, you're in a threat. This is a survival threat. I knew that I was no longer physically in an unsafe environment. And I've been practicing for enough time now where I could see that. I could see that I put on that filter and I was able to in the moment witness it notice the physical sensations in my body and make a new choice. That is literally what a new response or increasing our emotional resilience, responding newly to anger. That's how it looks in those moments is just noting it coming on and that it's happening and being able to shift and make a new choice. But you're not going to be able to shift and make a new choice in those angry, enraged moments if you don't have enough access to resiliency or to that control over your physical self. So it does come hand in hand. You can have the mindset there, though you also need to take your body and the embodiment of safety along with you on the journey. And to speak to your point you made earlier, um, while this doesn't, of course, you know, condone or make okay those those hurtful, often, you know, angry, explosive or disconnected moments. Cause you know, being on the other side of, you know, for me, what at times had worn on for even months, the longest that I was not spoken to by my mom, those points of disconnection, you know, are incredibly, incredibly painful moments. So we're not explaining away or making those moments. Okay. But what is important to highlight is that there is a complex experience happening in that person who's having that reaction. So even just going back to my two parents in those moments of explosion from my, my dad, chances are he felt, you know, especially because it would come out seemingly inconsequential moments. Oh, the peanut butter wasn't in the pantry where you put it. Why was that so important to my dad? And obviously not being my dad and knowing exactly what was going on in his mind from what I do understand is in that moment, there was a fear based reaction from a lack of control right? My dad has a tendency to organize his surroundings in a way, I believe, to emotionally give him some sense of control when he feels 
powerless with whatever is happening, whatever stressor is overwhelming the family system. So of course, when something isn't as he expected it to be externally, he externalizes who is the problem who moved the peanut butter. And now you're reacting in anger, which was really scary for all of us receiving it, even a little bit off-putting. Why is dad yelling over peanut butter? Though when we pull back and understand in that moment, dad was having a very understandable reaction of fear. He was destabilized. He was reaching for this external thing, entity that he was imagining emotionally would allow him to feel better. Similarly with my mom in these moments when she was disconnected, my mom was also feeling, you know, out of control, not not impactful enough because often when she would ice was when I was behaving or doing something that didn't agree with her, that she didn't agree with. Similarly that sense of lacking control, the way she controls one is instead of exploding, detaching, right? Separating as a form of control-based mechanism seeing the same in myself, not understanding though. And the reason why I think this conversation of the deeper emotions is so important is because we need to give life to that reality. Like you're describing to the fact that in all three of us, myself, my dad, and my mom, we have deeper grief. We have deeper sadness. We have all of the feelings that come up, you know, around lacking control and having these overwhelming moments in our life, we have powerlessness. We have a million other things wrapped up into the reactive experience of anger that we're living day to day. My brother just sent me a, my brother, Josh, my twin actually sent me a picture of our mom the other day. And it was a picture taken last year in November on the day of Jake's funeral, my older brother who passed away. And you and Molly actually are in the background of it, but it's a picture of my mom, after the funeral, after the services, there was this like restaurant bar type thing in Saratoga where I'm from that everyone went to, to just, you know, migrate and be together. And Lolly and Nicole are in the background walking out the door. I'm outside taking a picture of the sunset. And Josh is taking a picture of my mom who has this, her mouth is closed, but she has a smile on and her head is tilted back and her arms in the air. And Josh says, look, it's mom still trying to be happy, like even at Jake's funeral, still desperately sad, angry, upset, but trying to be happy. And it really struck me when he sent this photo because I also have on a wooden plank, my mom is an artist and grew up always just with an artistic nature, always painting. And I have this painting of hers that she did when she was 11. I think it was like November 2nd, 1965, she painted it. And it's this, the background is black and then there's flowers on it. And it's this girl with a hat on, flowers, her leg kicked out to the side with kind of a smirk, that same sort of smile that my mom has in this photo 50 years later. And the back of this painting that my mom titled in her little 11-year-old handwriting says, sad but gay. Gay as in happy, because that was a terminology I think more often used back then for happy. And if that is not such a depiction and representation of really what happens to over time when we get locked in, I don't know the details of my mother's childhood or the abuse that did or did not happen, though I know the projected abuse and the fear of abuse that she has placed on me phys physically, sexually, emotionally about my own father and my own environment. You know, if I were to erupt in anger or cry in my 
young years or teenage years, her response always would be, you know, it's okay. Jenna can't help it. She can't help what her father did to her. And those were always very confusing statements to me because I couldn't always remember my childhood, though I have very much connected over time learning more about her childhood. And looking back at this painting that she painted that's beautiful at age 11 that says sad but gay. And I zoom out 60, almost 60 years later, 55 years later to literally almost to the day, because it was also November, to this image of her at Jake's funeral after her son died, still didn't cry, didn't show any emotion, and is still trying to be happy. That's what she learned her entire life. No matter what, you put on a smile and you are happy. And I see even my childhood was you know, very turbulent, very traumatic, riddled with poverty, neglect, addiction, you name it, that was there, yet you would have always seen me with a smile on my face. You would have always seen this, you know, happy-go-lucky, whimsical, beautiful little girl and had no idea of the background that I come from. And I know that's true because my entire life I've lived that truth where there's such a shock or an awe when you actually get to know my story. But I share that because that sad but gay and that smile that she has on is still to this day burying an immense amount of anger that I'm only previewed to in moments where I'm in so much pain or there's something that ignites a memory or emotion from the past. And it is like a floodgate of these feelings and sensations come back where it almost does feel like a panic attack. There is so much anger there. Even as a child, if I had wrinkles in my socks or bumps in my hair, I would erupt in a tantrum and I would get very angry. I would always cry. It was never about the wrinkle in my socks or the bumps in my hair. It was probably that we went to bed at two o'clock in the morning and now it's four hours later and I'm at the bus stop in socks that are five sizes too big. And I know when I go to school with dirty hair, I'm going to get picked on. There was a lot underneath the surface and that never got acknowledged or attuned to. So over time too, I learned that anytime I share an emotion or that there's any kind of upset, there was an immediate shame to it. There was an anger from others that I was even having sadness or happiness or anything. So you can start to see the connection too of shame that we have about feeling quite literally anything, let alone something like anger that comes and it seems like we don't have control over it. I'm having a moment of, of memory very similarly um, one of the biggest points of conflict between my mom and I, um, because she would do, I have very, very thick hair. I'd always wore my hair very long growing up. So my mom would do my hair for, you know, a large period of time during my adolescence, my early adolescence. And so in the morning, similarly, after little sleep, after going to bed on sugar, after waking up <laughs> on sugar, after, you know, I did not have um, the kind of foreboding fear of school-based experiences because for me, school is where I got validated. I was very shy and socially um, up until at least high school. It is um, socially, you know, in terms of my relationships, I was really introverted, really shy. And I think that was a bit uncomfortable for me, though, in terms of my performance at school, always felt very, very comfortable. Though my appearance, you know, because I was already self-conscious about how I looked compared to how my friends looked, especially as I started to develop in my body that I was very shameful of, 
similarly to you, I had for different reasons though, an overemphasis on my, the perfectness of my hair. And it was the nineties. So we had to shellac our hair down and there was not going to be any lumps in it. And if there were, my mom would have hell to pay. I remember explosions in my morning, screaming at my mom that I hate her because I have lumps in my hair. So much so that one particular morning I was having a giggle because I was storming up my hallway where I would do my hair in front of the one mirror. And I was storming so fr frantically, so upset that I actually broke my little toe. I jammed it into the banister of the railing of my steps and I broke my little toe in such an outrage. Similarly, though, not having humans around me, adults around me who could had any emotional resilience of their own, that wasn't a welcome. It was Nicole was out of control. What's wrong with Nicole? Oh, gosh, her hair again, you know, roll eyes and that lack of support. So not having that. And the reason why we're having this entire conversation, the physiology of anger, those moments for me at that time of having consistently unmet emotional needs of not having that space to express, to have someone curious and help me through my overwhelming emotions resulted in very real anger. I was being, I was having the upset that comes from those consistently unmet needs. Similarly, if it's boundary violations, if that's the point of reactivity, the reason why this conversation is important, the more we suppress our attention to the fact that it's happening, doesn't make it stop happening. It's indicating something is below the surface. So for me in moments now where I'm feeling that same agitation, that same tendency to blame my mom. So now it's not my mom, it's Jenna, it's Lolly who caused my anger when I feel that, you know, blood pressure beginning to boil, when I feel my my um, arms, my hands beginning to clench, when I feel my heart rate beginning to elevate, I now know two things are happening. One, I'm having an emotion that's, you know, anger on the surface could be something deeper. I might be feeling hurt. I might be feeling, you know, sad. I might be feeling something else making space for that. And I see the tendency to, to blame the world. Well, if you just stop, I won't feel angry anymore. Now I understand, however, that anger is in, inside of me. And it's important that I acknowledge that in that moment, I might not be meeting my own needs. It might not be your responsibility of what you're doing or not doing to create a change the more angry I feel, the more irritable I feel, and I can go days where I have that pent up agitation. For me, those are opportunities not to arrange the world around me so I feel differently. Those are opportunities to drop in, to look at myself and explore, well, okay, Nicole, have you been caring for yourself? Have you been considering your own needs? Have you been making sure your needs are being met? And more often than not, the answer in those moments are no, I'm agitated because my needs have been going unmet. Maybe I'm not sleeping well. Maybe I'm not eating well. Maybe I'm too busy thinking about work and not giving myself those grounded moments to relax, to decompress, to calm down. And instead I'm agitated, understandably, because my needs aren't being met, though I'm my tendency is to blame someone else. So when we have this vantage point, the reason why we're having this conversation is to give us all the opportunity to not only tune into the physiology of anger because it's important, but to begin to make space for all of the different things that might be driving the anger and also the opportunity to explore the reality that anger is there for a reason. Is there something in your current environment that you could begin to do differently 
to honor your own boundaries in, in a better way, in a more comfortable way, to make sure that you are taking the steps to ensure your needs are being met. Those are an opportunity then to refocus and to maybe make a different choice. We have so many opportunities and so many well, opportunities to use these tools to create a different reality. And even as you're sharing so much wisdom and so much tangible things that, you know, we can, we can note about ourselves. We can be, begin to witness and begin to witness our own physical sensations. And when this comes on and we don't share any of this without the full understanding too, that you're not going to dive right into mm -hmm. your anger and start to be able to piece it out in these little segments and break it down into a nice little category of, oh, my, <laughs> my hands are getting really clenched. My face is feeling really hot right now. And we can take a little note of where did that come from? What ignited this trigger? What am I feeling in my body? What am I thinking? How can I respond different? We are capable of going down and navigating that whole path. Sure. It can sound like a lot in the beginning because for many of us, we haven't even allowed ourselves the opportunity to just feel. Anger doesn't physically feel good. It doesn't feel like rainbows and sunshine or when you're at the height of your life. It feels crummy. It feels for me like a, a heaviness in my heart. My stomach feels sick. I can feel my face start to tense. I can feel a lump in my throat. And oftentimes, allowing ourselves to simply feel Feel, creating the space and a container of safe space to simply say, you know what? I'm really pissed off. I don't need to validate why I'm pissed off. I don't need to find the, the reason or tell myself it's okay. Sure, that might be helpful because it is valid and it is okay. Though simply allowing yourself to feel in a responsible way, which means you know, maybe being alone, maybe going for a walk, maybe screaming or punching into a pillow. It might mean sobbing your eyes out for a little bit. I know for me, my anger has been directly attached to grief because the only things that I'm really angry about are a lot of hurt, a lot of abandonment, a lot of wounding, a lot of unfairness of why things were the way that they were and why I'm still now given this beautiful opportunity to heal and create my life. But to be honest, I'm also, I'm given decades of bullshit to heal from, and that can make you really angry. That's a grieving process. It, it does hurt. So be mindful to first give yourself this space to actually just feel and let yourself feel the tears or feel that you know burning sensation to scream at the top of your lungs and maybe you do go scream into a pillow but you don't scream directly at your child or your partner you find a more responsible way to deal with it so that we're not creating more harm externally that we then have to go and clean up later which is actually just going to add to our anger and i think all this continues to highlight and i'm hoping for you listeners it does that as well the importance of tending to our body in this conversation, right? Even in that moment where you and I were able to reconnect, we had to become aware that our bodies were sending us all of those threat-based messages. I'm sure I speak for myself. My heart was getting, you know, was getting elevated. I was starting to feel that tension. My body was saying eject. And at the same time, I had the conscious space to identify that my body and my heart 
was also saying something different. My heart was able to come back and connect with your heart, who, who my heart does want to continue to remain connected to you, to everyone that I love around me. So I was able to make space for all of the physiology, all of the uncomfortable sensations that were happening in that moment. And I think that's such an important part of it is that our emotions, you know, are happening in our body. Those couple days that I continue to reference just last week, I think it was when I was feeling really pent up, really agitated again, because when I looked back over the course of that week, probably it began before my anger started to become agitation in my body or or agitation that was evident to me, I should say. And this is how it often does happen. It began probably several days before when I didn't do my morning movement, when I started to dive into the book project that I was working on instead of tending to my body. So it's no surprise then three, four days later, I'm feeling the results of those choices several days before. I'm feeling that agitation. And the number one thing this called to mind, I think, I don't know if you remember what I brought up to you one of the days when I was going <laughs> to go take space from the home, um, not when I was going to go away for several days, not that that particular argument, but I was beginning to identify, I need some time. I need some space. That's what I now understand. When I feel that level of agitation, For me, it's a marker that just like I shared earlier, I'm not tending to my needs. There's somewhere else that I'm focusing my attention and I might need time to move my body. I might need just time and space away from the other humans that I love very dearly that I spend most of my time with. I might need to take myself outside of the home to do something. And so now that I have this awareness because I've observed myself and I've seen that when I do make choices to care for myself after feeling agitated like this, I feel better. I come back to the home after I've taken myself to lunch and I'm in a much more grounded, open, easily open space for that connection. And one of the first things that popped into my head when I was brainstorming what I was going to do for the day was I wanted to take myself to a batting cage. Um, having played softball for decades of my life, and I haven't been back to a batting cage to hit balls, literally. And I think my mind went there with this idea of how can I get out this irritable energy, this you know compacted, compressed energy I'm feeling, like you're saying, scream into a pillow. We can be really creative. And for me, because softball is something that I have done for so many years, thinking about hitting a ball was for me that outlet, that kind of release valve on that actual energy. So we can get really creative with the different things that we can begin to integrate back. And maybe it's returning to things we used to do much more naturally in childhood that were the actual physiological relief of these underlying energies. Because again, I can't emphasize enough how this is a space where it's not enough just to listen to a podcast and have all these beautiful ideas or concepts about how we're going to deal with anger differently Unless we make a choice in our bodies to shift the sensations, to shift that fear-based messaging that our our nervous system is sending that we're not safe, to send us different messages that we're actually are safe, to experience this very uncomfortable sensation right now. That's what Jenna means when she says expanding that resilience window, dropping in and actually learning how to tolerate increasingly uncomfortable sensations. And so again, all of that begins when we become aware that what is happening sensationally is in our body. So the choices have to be those embodied choices where we're doing something differently in action, where we can't just wish away our anger. It's just not going to be enough. It's absolutely an embodiment, which means feeling it, witnessing, like you're saying, all of that all the anger, all of the sensations, even taking note of that means that you have to intentionally do it. 
you have to be choosing to be present. That means choosing to be aware, not reaching for the bottle of wine to numb yourself or dissociate or to get rid of that anger, which is why I emphasize that first step of just creating a container of space to simply feel because we as a society too have very much normalized the reach for a glass of wine, reach for the drugs, reach for the cigarettes, reach for the porn, whatever it is, reach for the vice to take my mind's focus, this mo- the most powerful thing that I have in creation, take all of that focus, send it over here so it goes down a little conveyor belt of numbing and dissociating so that I can essentially let the, the anger, the pain, everything over here that doesn't physically feel good to feel, I can just numb it out and bury it. And that is exactly why I gave the example of this painting, Sad But Gay, that my mom painted. And then this 66-year-old version of my mom who is sad but gay, smiling and trying to, you know, make everyone else smile and be happy while her son just died a week before. And the reason that that is the way it is 55 years later is because there was a consistency of behavior and pattern. There was not awareness. There was not a conscious intention or attunement to give language to the anger or pain or trauma that my mom experienced. Instead, she dissociated. She chose vices. She chose alcohol and cigarettes her entire life from a very young age. Over time, over now, we're talking about 55 years of those same habits and patterns And you have a 66-year-old woman who cannot take care of herself at this point, is stuck in the same vices, has not allowed herself to feel, is desperately in pain and desperately angry, and is choosing to quite literally drink and smoke herself to death to this day. That is her choice. And it is compounded from not having a safe space to be able to do that, which is why this these conversations, and I mentioned we could probably have 10 conversations or episodes about anger, they're so crucial because without this awareness, without beginning the conversations now with ourselves and with our friends, family, with our children in particular, when we don't give language or have conversation and begin to identify those sensations and the emotions attached and where they come from and our incredible, miraculous ability to deal with anything that is ever put in front of us, well, then we're going to continue reaching for that bottle of wine or those drugs to numb ourselves out. Jake died last November. My brother Jake died at 36. I'm now in a month. I will have outlived how old my older brother was, which is a trip to even digest. Jake died from, yes, drugs ultimately, though the behavior that led to the drugs was absolutely to pull himself away from the feelings of anger and despair and sadness that he felt. He had never learned to witness that, to create that emotional resilience and safety within himself so that he could respond to his incredibly traumatic life and begin to heal and make new choices. The choices he made to deal with that were the same old choices that my mother would make, that many of us make. We reach for a vice to numb us. Over time, with some of the vices that we use, death is absolutely one of the options that can come as a result. So 
these conversations about dealing with and actually feeling quite literally can be boiled down to a matter of life or death. Even if your physical vessel stays on this earth for longer than 36 years and doesn't die from an overdose like Jake, that doesn't necessarily mean you're actually living while you're alive. Most of us, and I watched Jake included, have our physical vessels and hearts beating on this earth, yet our souls are so entrapped and so sad and feel really so captured that we don't actually get to experience life or love or genuine connection at all. And that's the reality. I mean, emotions are 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 the fabric um, of of our of our human experience. They're what color our world. They're what allows us to feel into another person's world. That's what empathy, that's what connection is. And that's what we're all wired to desperately desire. And just to speak to the parents before we get ready to end this episode, I think what's so important to highlight is so many of you are so well-intentioned, right? And this is one of those areas where you can't just read or it's not going to be as impactful to read the parenting book, to listen to a podcast like this, have equipped yourself with all of the things right to say in the moment when your child to, you know, allow them the space and the security to experience their own anger or whatever emotion it is. If at the same time, you're not showing them that you do the same. And anger, I think is one of those really complicated emotions where based on what we learned in our own childhood, so many of us, even society, I think quite globally, you know, tends to stigmatize anger in particular, because a lot of us have been on the receiving end of really problematic, if not, you know, downright harmful um, consequences of reactivity from anger. Anger in and of itself, though, just bringing this full circle is important. It's a messenger. It tells us when our limits are being overstepped. It tells us when our needs aren't being met, though not very few of us have had the tools, the resources passed on from our own parents, our own past childhood experiences to learn how to be with our own anger. So as a result, I think a lot of us can really maybe say the right thing to our child, but if we're not showing them our own you know, navigation of anger, anger, if we're not showing them that we have space for all of the different complex feelings that often are underneath anger, like our own grief, our own sadness, whatever it might be, then those words are going to be really minimal in their impact because what our child might experience then with us is the opposite. In their bodies, they might not feel that safety that our words are trying to convey. So again, this is why it's so important as the parents, all of you parents out there listening, to begin to explore your own relationship with all of your emotions because the impact you're going is going to be so much greater when you're modeling, when you're also modeling the messy human reality that as we begin to reconnect with our anger, it's not going to come out the most beautiful, the most direct, the most responsible way. I mean, a lot of us tend to overcompensate now to speak for my own journey. As I came to realize all the different ways I was passive aggressive, I was conflict avoidant. There are moments where I'm so overly almost aggressive in my statements of what I need or what I want or what my new limit is. Again, it can be off-putting. It can be hurtful the way I'm delivering it because when we don't understand or when we're learning something new, it's difficult. So giving ourselves the grace and as the parent to maybe say the wrong thing, to say it in a way that is that is new, that isn't landing as you want, but to give yourself the grace to continue to experiment, to acknowledge then maybe to your child who was witness 
to the thing that you want to avoid doing, just acknowledging, you know, I did yell in that moment. I did yell at you in the moment. My anger is not about you in that moment. And I'm going to learn new ways to deal with my anger. Sometimes a conversation um, that's just kind of acknowledging what happened and you're behind the scenes can go so such a long way for a child. And again, this is another area I've ex- observed at least where we avoid those conversations because we feel shameful, because we should we feel like we should just come back, not have done that. So we'll just sweep it under the rug and just continue on as if it never happened. And without giving our children the language about what happened, they're going to create their own story. And chances are they're going to land on some version of events where they were the cause of your anger. And they're going to become the adult then that very similar to the stories you heard from Jenna and I do externalize blame, do take responsibility then on the other side for other people's emotions, because that's what we were taught from all of these micro moments of interaction. So again, just highlighting the importance of these journeys of individual healing and the impact that it can have for those of us that have children, for those of us in relationship. As we start to show up differently, those around us will be so greatly impacted because they will experience and feel that difference in their dynamic with us. This is such an important point about showing up and modeling this in front of your children, in front of our our children of the world today, and particularly being honest about fumbling through it. When you make a mistake, when you do yell at your child or you yell at your partner or, you know, the person at the cash register at the store in front of your child, we are human. We do have reactivity. We do respond to things in unideal ways or in an emotional moment that later on we recount and think, you know, I really wish I hadn't done that. My kid was there. Even the other day, I snapped at our four kittens. We're in a (laughs) In their little kitten carrier, I was bringing them over from the neighbors and they just all turned on each other for a second and started going at each other. And I had such a fearful heart and I immediately like yelled at them. And I realized that we're talking about kittens here, but I noted, I thought, oh my gosh, like I can only imagine what this is like around the clock for parents. And I was a caregiver for years and a nanny for years. So I'm very familiar with like 24 seven year-on-year care of a small child. And it has greatly increased always my compassion and understanding and empathy for everyone that is looking after another human being while navigating your own stuff. Because just in that moment of snapping at my kittens, I felt awful. I judged myself. I was in front of our neighbor too, who has kids. Everyone in our neighborhood (laughs) has kids except for us, really. And she immediately understood. And I watched myself feel so bad. I was like, oh my God, I'm that mom. And I had a giggle. I'm like, what do you mean you're that mom? Like, you're fine, Jenna. And parents scream at their kids. I've yelled at kids. I've taught for 10, 15 years, little kids in classrooms, in schools. And we all have those moments. Those moments are almost the greatest gifts when we do fumble and we're not our best selves because that is the best way that we could set up another human being for the life ahead is, hey, you're not always going to be your ideal self. Circumstances and situations and relationships aren't always going to be ideal. This is how we take responsibility for ourselves. This is how we stay loving and connected. So in those moments with your children, if you fumble or do something like that less than ideal, share that with them. One of the things I see consistently 
in why people love or resonate with this podcast or watching the videos of this podcast is, you know, the content is great. The conversations are great, but often it's, it's the rawness, the authenticity, and then like the actual genuineness and vulnerability that you and I, Nicole, share as being humans in conversation, like having conversations about this work, but also being happy to share when we quote unquote screw up or when we're human and like kind of air our dirty laundry. It's really refreshing for you as the listener or viewer to be like, oh, okay, people are human. It almost gives a, not a free pass to continue these things or condone them, but to say, oh, it's okay. I don't have to completely shame myself into oblivion for having a human response. And those moments are golden to your children because in that moment, it's almost like they're seeing a hero. They're seeing this person that they're already watching and modeling and worshiping and looking up to. And then they're seeing that person make a quote unquote mistake and they're being taught it. They're working through it. They're watching a parent apologize to the child and say, oh, you know, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have yelled at you like that. You know, I'm I'm working on how I respond to my own anger and I'll continue working on new ways. I apologize how that was for you. Like, did that hurt your feelings? And just having a conversation when we actually do it with ourselves, we don't have to sugarcoat or have like a dumbed down kid conversation with our kids. We can have normal conversations just like we're having here. The more we can expose our children to a space of safety and really openness to the expansive nature of being human, the more they're never going to have to heal from all of the stuff we're trying to undo and unlearn and heal from. They're already connected to themselves. They don't see a shame in anger. They feel every emotion in the book. They came fully connected to themselves. And it's us who begin to shame away. Like me, when I was little, whenever I had an emotion, the immediate response around me was, in anger from someone else, a shame from someone else. We have to create a safe container for them to just feel and be. And we can only do that and talk them through it if we give our, if we treat ourselves like the children for a moment and give ourselves that same language and the same moments to to feel what's going on so that we can actually find the language and the words to walk our children through what's going on in them because it's the same thing happening in both of our bodies. And that entire journey, you know, for many of you can begin by, as we often do, break change into two steps, becoming consciously aware, becoming present right here, right now to where anger factors into your life. And, you know, including the possibility that many of you might be like I was for decades of my life, right? Well, anger, what anger? I'm not angry at all, yet it's so beneath the surface. My anger is so wrapped up in all of my general irritability, which is what I felt all of the time in those moments of reactivity or disconnection. So urging all of you out there to, with that non-judgmental mind, to just begin to see, because until we see how and where anger is factoring in, assuring you that it is somewhere for some of us so beneath the surface that we're not even witness to it yet, though it likely is driving that those reactions. And until we see what's happening, we're never going to be able to make those new choices, which is that second step 
to creating a new relationship with our anger, one that's more embodied, one where we can make space for the reality that angry moments will continue. We need them to. They're going to be markers directing us on our journey. And at the same time, we can have beautiful moments like you and I experienced just last week where we can still remain and have space to connect with what our heart wants, allowing us to drop in and allow the heart, that point of connection, those desires, the relationships and security that we're building to be what continues to guide us. Even when we're feeling angry, we can make space in the same moment when appropriate and when safe, of course, to feel differently and to choose connection. So as always, we appreciate all of you listening, sharing any of these episodes and leaving uh, in your comments below, wherever it is that you're viewing this, whether it's on Instagram or our YouTube channel, we'd love to hear as you begin or maybe continue for some of you, your own witnessing journeys of your own anger. Um, what it is, what is it that's coming up for you? How is it to even hear all of the different ways we are exploring anger in this episode? And what are you noticing as you continue forward in exploring your own anger? As always, we're listening. Leave it in the comments below and looking forward to continuing this conversation with you all next episode.